Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Opening up this edition of The Intersection, it's Barb Roos, who has some unique insight for women about waiting on God, as exemplified by key women who are related about in the pages of the Bible. She has crafted a Bible study around principles they lived out. Also, in advance of the release of the Kendrick Brothers' latest film on home video, Alex Kendrick discussed with me a variety of aspects of that movie, which deals with identity in Christ. Then, certainly Queen Elizabeth, for over six decades, has demonstrated a strength which author Dudley Delves contends has a spiritual component. You'll be hearing some of his analysis of some of her inspiring traits. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, more from the Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There is so much to discuss relative to the topic of prayer, and Janet Holm McHenry sat down with me at CPE International to share about the strong example that Jesus is to us in the area of prayer. Plus, health and nutrition expert Robbie Raw talked about some practical principles with a scriptural foundation on how to have a more healthy lifestyle. Also, there are comments ahead from Debbie Wilson, who also uses women of the Bible to illustrate God's faithfulness and ability to overcome difficulty in life. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Barb Roos is an author and Bible teacher who has developed a four-week Bible study entitled, I'm Waiting God, Finding Blessing in God's Delays. She shared with me about the subject matter, dealing with God's purpose and waiting on Him, based on the lives of four women in the scriptures. From that conversation, this is Barb Roos. The waiting room, there are times you can't get out of it. You're just there. And so the the best antibiotic to bitterness is gratitude. The I'm waiting God study every day, there is a quick gratitude exercise because gratitude is the way for us to remember what God has already done to be faithful to us. So when we are intentional about gratitude, that helps to keep our hearts chugging along with peace and hope instead of fear and scarcity. So gratitude, gratitude, even if it's just taking a moment to say thanks for what's around you, that is going, gratitude is going to give you the energy as well as the opportunity to connect with God no matter what it is you're facing. And also our attitude toward God can be influenced by really these thoughts that would enter our mind. And we, you know, we're tempted to think, well, perhaps, and, and you addressed this just a bit a few moments ago, maybe God doesn't love us. God has forgotten us. God doesn't care about this answer. God, don't you know that this is something I really want? Why aren't you giving it to me? Whatever. But but there are there is this whole element of people feeling that they have been forgotten. Comment on that if you would. For me, the the pain of feeling forgotten is this idea that that God is taking care of everyone else but me. And I think that it's easy for us to feel that way in the waiting room. That's why God's promises, repeating them to myself has been vital. Again, it was a decade of praying, and I'm watching uh, people's families experience and have joy and happiness, and I was like, okay, God, when are you going to get around? When's it going to be our turn? But every morning I've discovered that I call it the God morning, God night technique. When I repeat five promises of God to myself in the morning and at night, 
it reminds me that God has not forgotten me. And that God morning, God night technique is in the study itself because Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has plans for us that are good and not for evil. And in the Passion Translation, at the end of that verse, it says, never forget that, that we cannot forget that God has made us promises. And there are some promises that we won't receive in this lifetime. They're for eternity. But there are thousands of promises of God that just this morning I had to repeat the promises of God because there's something that I'm waiting on. And I'm like, oh, God, it's so hard to wait. But I need daily reminders that God is with me and for me and that he is taking care of me even when my circumstances don't feel that great. What have you found and what do you address in the Bible study with respect to reasons that God doesn't answer certain prayers? I tackle that uh, because sometimes we do a little armchair quarterbacking when it comes to everyone's (laughs) spiritual lives. Yeah. Uh, people are praying, and they have really great reasons why God hasn't answered the prayers. And so Scripture is very clear that unforgiveness, secret sin, pride, or wrong motives. Like, Scripture is really clear on, you know, uh, those will delay our answers to prayer. But then there are some other reasons. Uh, God may want to protect us from harm or heartache. He may allow time to pass so we see His power on display. Sometimes the delay is to teach us to trust him. If God gave us everything that we wanted instantly, we would take what he gave us and run away from him because we forget about God often in easy times. Or God delays the answer to prayer because he's working in someone else's life. So there are a number of reasons. And here's the most important part. We may not know why. So it really is helpful and healthy for us to not try to assign reasons for why God is or isn't outside of unforgiveness, like those things, like unforgiveness, secret sin, pride, row motives, like we can identify those and do something about it. But for those other circumstances, those give us what could be happening, but not to spin our mind and energy on trying to figure out what they are, but just acknowledge we know that God is at work. Mm-hmm. We know that we can trust him, and we know that he's taking care of us in the meantime. Barb Roos on this edition of The Intersection. Learn more through the website barbroose.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's filmmaker Alex Kendrick, who discussed the film Overcomer. Prior to its digital release and DVD Blu-ray release, the film deals with matters of identity and dependence on God. From that conversation, this is Alex Kendrick. It got our third A-plus cinema score, which is very hard to get. On, on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score was 98, which is the highest we've ever had. Um, uh, I will say that the response has, came, has, has come in by the thousands of texts, emails, Facebook posts, and we love that. People are resonating with the whole identity in Christ aspect of Overcomer. We've heard uh, scores of people that have made decisions for Christ, even in the theaters, and now churches are getting geared up to show it in their communities and to their people, and we look forward to that to continue. Overseas, the movie is still in theaters. It's coming out in, in Brazil next week, in India the following week. It's been in 27 countries theatrically. So we're so grateful for the response we're getting, uh, the decisions for Christ, and the the encouragement that the body of Christ is getting on 
how to define who they are in Christ. And and uh, so we love that, and we look forward for the ministry to continue as the DVD is released. Hannah is a young lady that, well, when we meet Hannah, has, has some issues, like we all do. So yeah. tell me, as, as you co-wrote the film and as you developed this character, tell me what you wanted to kind of build into the character of Hannah. So in regard to identity issues, uh, when Stephen and I did the research for the most common um, symptoms of identity struggles, the first two were not things that we were comfortable showing on screen. The, the one was immoral in nature, um, and then the second one was drug use. The third one was actually theft. In other words, people that are struggling to find value in their own lives would take things of value as if it would add value to their own lives. So theft was number three on the list of identity struggles. And so Hannah in the movie is seen doing that, taking things, and she's struggling with her own place in the world, does not have a relationship with her parents, and uh, is is really just having a hard time. And as a cross-country runner, she has asthma. And so that's where she starts off. And then John Harrison as most men do when they lose their job or at least their opportunity at success, they struggle with their identity. And John, who loses his uh, basketball team as a coach when the factory in town closes down and so many families move away, uh, is given the cross-country program, and he's got this one runner. So both of them are struggling with identity issues uh, from different vantage points. And so the movie Overcomer uh, follows their trajectories as they learn a lot about who God says they are, regardless of their circumstances and the importance of faith and finding yourself in your creator. Thomas Hill is someone who, well, actually your character meets. It was certainly a God-ordained meeting, and Thomas Hill actually really poured into your character, uh, John Harrison's life, in some very profound ways. He does. You know, he asks John uh, pertinent questions about what do you allow to define you. Uh, First, he asks him who he is. And John, as most of us do, he starts off with his job. He's a basketball coach. And then he's a husband and then a father. And uh, and then it gets kind of funny after that before he, he realizes that his walk with Christ is too far down the list as far as his identity, and that he, he didn't even think in terms of, of saying he's a follower of Christ or even a Christian. And so uh, the man in the hospital, Thomas Hill, uh, that kind of probes a little bit, it's funny that the irony of this scene is that the sick man is doing spiritual surgery on the healthy man. <laughs> yes. And so uh, by the end of this scene, uh, John is a little rattled. He goes home and he realizes that he's got some things out of order in his own heart and mind, and that's one of the reasons he's struggling. Um, and so if you are struggling that you lose a position or an amount of money or a job and you, and you struggle a great deal, that may be an indicator that your identity is focused on the wrong thing. In other words... Even as a filmmaker, if I am in Christ and I'm obeying the Lord and honoring him, then if the movie doesn't do well that I'm working on, it should not change who I am. You know, if my anchor, so to speak, is in the unchanging character 
of Jesus Christ, he doesn't change. He's rock solid. So if my circumstances cause me to struggle or change too much, that's the first indicator that I'm finding myself in the wrong foundation. And I need to get back focused on the one who loves me and created me and has the authority to tell me who I am. Alex Kendrick here on The Intersection. The movie's website is overcomermovie.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Dudley Delfs, who has penned a spiritual biography of Queen Elizabeth entitled The Faith of Queen Elizabeth, The Poise, Grace, and Quiet Strength Behind the Crown. In our conversation, he explored some of the faith elements of the Queen's life. From that conversation, this is Dudley Delfs now. Well, you know, Bob, I've always been interested in finding faith in unexpected people and places and events, and that coupled with my own uh, British and Celtic ancestry, um, it led me to examine the Queen and to always be fascinated by her role and its many facets. And, you know, over the years, as we have seen more and more dramatizations and documentaries about her life, I became more curious about her personal faith and what that must be like, both as the monarch and head of the Church of England, but also just as a person, a human being, a woman. And so all of that just snowballed until I began researching and, and writing The Faith of Queen Elizabeth. We have to acknowledge that she has this impossible job <laughs> yeah. and role. You know, as we often see her say in various episodes of The Crown, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a job where she has to do nothing, that, you know, she has to rather step back and try to remain neutral and impartial and simply exert influence, and that influence being stability and security, even as events and circumstances may rise and fall. And, of course, not only does she have you know, matters of national and international crises to deal with, but certainly, like any you know, wife and mother and sister and daughter, she has all of her own family dramas to deal with. And so, you know, I don't see how it could help but challenge her beliefs and her practices, and I think, you know, as we have seen over the decades, Queen Elizabeth relies on that quiet strength of her faith to endure all of these and endure it very gracefully. You know, um, it's interesting. I, I, I've noticed the way that, you know, so often we see people who, um, being a Christian is very bold and out front, and that's, that's very admirable and, and, you know, often works well. But, you know, sometimes I think uh, it it's, has a greater impact when I look at the life of someone like Queen Elizabeth, who's now 93, and, you know, decades of just being consistent and always respectful, always kind, always compassionate, and weathering some of these storms, both personal and private, that I think would send anybody, um, you know, either running out the door or to their knees in prayer. And I think for her, it's definitely been a matter of drawing closer to God. Well, as you have written this book in that overall process, you spent a few weeks in England. You talked to a number of people about the Queen and her faith. Who did you talk to? What did you find out? <laughs> you know, Bob, it was great because uh, obviously, you know, there were there were some experts I wanted to talk to and and you know, some, some various uh, clergy in the church and so forth. But what was most insightful for me was having these very casual chats and conversations with just average citizens. 
um, you know, just almost accidentally or incidentally, and then whether it's uh, on a train or in a pub or um, having a cup of tea um, in a church hall after a service, um, people were very curious about, you know, why I would want to write about the faith of of their queen. And, you know, uh, I even had one young woman say, that seems a very American approach. Why single out her faith? And, of course, I tried to explain my interest, and I think the more we talked, I think she she realized that they perhaps take it for granted that uh, the Queen's faith is part of, you know, Her Majesty's personality, part of her character, but that in many ways it uh, it is very astounding, and the way that she's had this consistency. So they love to chat about it, and I, I appreciate it, just the diverse perspectives, young and old, and different uh classes, uh, working class, professional class, educated, not as educated, uh, diverse ethnicities, they all, whether they like her or even consider themselves a royalist, they all respect her immensely. Dudley Delfs here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to his website, DudleyDelfs.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, plus there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to faithradio.org and find a link to The Meeting House homepage through the programming section. Content from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app, and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and TuneIn. From Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 Christian Product Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Janet Holm McHenry discussed elements of prayer based on her book, The Complete Guide to the Prayers of Jesus, What Jesus Prayed, and How It Can Change Your Life Today. From that conversation, this is Janet Holm McHenry. Jesus had more than just the Lord's Prayer that he, where, where he was teaching us. He was also showing through, we have actually 10 prayers of his in, in the Gospels, and he was showing us that, that it is important to give praise, it's important to give thanks, it's important to pray expectantly, and actually his teachings on prayer also are only second in number to his teachings about the kingdom of God, you know, how to have that eternal relationship with him. And then once you have it, I think it's really key, it's really important to look at his prayer life itself to see how he prayed, the way that he prayed. And uh, he, I call him my mentor in prayer mm. or, or my prayer partner or my prayer trainer as I was going out and walking with my community. I looked at it in terms of an expectant time with Jesus that we were going to partner together as I walked. I looked around. He'd make me aware of the needs of my community. And I felt that 
that God was was with me, that and he was honoring my prayers in that way. So let's discuss just a moment the Lord's Prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and said, or they asked, I guess, teach us teach to us. pray. So what do we see in the Lord's Prayer? And we recite it as a very powerful prayer. It's Jesus' example to us. But what do we see in the Lord's Prayer that we can really learn from and incorporate into our prayers today? There are many different sections of the Lord's Prayer, and I, I do discuss that in the book. But I think as a whole, we see that it's perfectly all right to ask the Heavenly Father for daily needs. You know, yeah, daily bread. We need forgiveness, you know, to, to honor those specific needs that we have. And sometimes we think, oh, I, I shouldn't ask him to help me pay my bills, or I shouldn't ask him for travel mercies. Or that, you know, that's just such a little thing. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's just fine <laughs> to do, go ahead and do that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He begins with praise. I think as we go to prayer itself, we can be, begin with praise. There's also an encouragement to um, ask forgiveness, you know, to seek forgiveness and have forgiveness as an important part of our relationship with the Father, but also with our fellow human human beings here on earth so that our prayers, in fact, are effective. Well, and as we wrap up the Lord's, or as Jesus wraps up the Lord's prayer, he says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory mm-hmm. forever and ever. Amen. When we talk about that kingdom mentality and how to incorporate that in prayer. What does that mean? Well, he's saying your kingdom come another, your, your will be done here on earth. And actually that is also basically Jesus final prayer. He's on the cross into your hands. I commit my mm-hmm. spirit. So I, it is important to pray in God's will. And I think the more that we do spend in time in God's word and in prayer that we do find our hearts aligned. And actually that is the most important purpose i believe in prayer is to have that time with the lord and to align our hearts with him and it's relationship that he's seeking he certainly wants us to come to him to ask to intercede for others uh, even as jesus did but the important part is to become one with him in relationship Janet Holm McHenry is joining us today. Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at CPE International, the Christian Product Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So, Janet, as we begin to wrap up our conversation today, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. There are so many other prayers that we see in the Scriptures. Another one that comes to mind is John 17, as Jesus prayed for us, for his body, for his people to be one. What do you see in that particular prayer? Well, there are three sections to John 17, and I address that in three different chapters. Uh, first, he prays uh, for himself. And so it is, again, it's all right to pray for ourselves, to ask God for particular needs that we have. And then he prays for his disciples, that, that they will be one, etc., with the Father. And then he prays for those who will believe. And that was where I see that he's he's interceding for for you and for me for those who will come to the faith he's already interceding for those as he continues to advocate for us today janet holm mckenry here on the intersection you can learn more by going to JanetMcHenry.com. next up on this edition of the intersection podcast from cpe international in tennessee registered nurse and health fitness and nutrition expert robbie raw discuss her approach to matters of health centered on a biblical worldview perspective 
She discussed principles related to the book, The Raw Truth Recharge, Seven Truths to Health and Fitness. This is Robbie Raw now. The seven truths are faith, family, food, fitness, detox, sleep, and stress management. They're all vital to our health. You know, when we when I think about detox, and, and when people think about detox, they make get scared of, of that word. But detox, we need to detox spiritually, we need to detox emotionally, mentally, physically, and all of that. And so what happens is because we are taking in toxins, pesticides, herbicides, uh, all of that stuff that wrecks havoc on our health, you may start eating healthy today, Bob, but not get results because really we need to cleanse our digestive Mm -hmm. system first. And a detox doesn't mean you can't go to work. It doesn't mean you're laying in bed. It doesn't mean you can't exercise. I'm talking about eating the foods of the earth that God created that you don't need to read a label on for at least one week without any pesticides, no GMOs, no herbicides, nothing like that. And you know, drinking half of your body weight in ounces of water per day. In the morning, having lemon and water to cleanse your palate and your digestive system. And there's a whole protocol for this, which is in my book that really anyone can do. Uh, I have several, I have about a hundred different dietary theories up my sleeve and about a hundred different detoxes. But in my book is a very general detox that anyone can do. And so it's really helps to cut cravings because we have sugar cravings and you eat what you crave and you crave what you eat. So if you eat sugar, you crave sugar. If you cut out sugar, you crave the foods of the earth that God created that you don't need to read a label on. But there's a process to that. We cut out caffeine, not because caffeine is bad. Caffeine is okay as long as it's organic again, because there are pesticides on that. But what happens is caffeine affects our blood sugar. So sometimes if you have a cup of coffee, you might want a little biscotti with it or something like that, because it does elevate our blood sugar just a little bit and causes us to crave sugar. And so the list goes on and on. So in terms of a detox, uh, just eating, as, as I said, clean eating eating whole grain foods that you don't need to read a label on for at least one week will cut your cravings, decrease inflammation, help you lose weight, help clarity. I've had pastors say to me that have gone through my detox, I can think so much clearer. My sermons are much clearer. Mm. I have more energy. I'm not craving anything. And so it's it's amazing. You may have, for the first three days, uh, symptoms of tiredness or uh, feeling like you're you're not really feeling that good. But by day four, you turn the corner and you have so much energy, you don't even know what to do with it. And you might not need to consume caffeine. That's right. I can't imagine saying that. Yes, I know. <laughs> A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't go back. It's amazing. Yeah. Robbie Ra joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio forthcoming book, The Raw Truth Recharge, Seven Truths to Health and Fitness. Jill Kelly actually has endorsed the book, the wife of of Jim Kelly. She probably knows a little bit about uh, health and fitness, being married to an NFL, former NFL quarterback. Yes, and I have helped that family uh, and quite a bit uh, with their health, and I'm grateful to do that. Well, and, and when we look at, at cancer, speaking of Jim Kelly, and of course we yes. know the, about his bout yes. with cancer, it's, what do you find to be maybe some of the, the dietary preventive steps that someone could take? Obviously, there's not a, you know, a comprehensive panacea of you know, diet that can prevent cancer. At least I don't think there is. I don't know. But there are certainly some positive steps, I would imagine. Yes, that's a very good question, Bob. Um, you know, a lot of patients come to me because of I talk about cancer a lot in my book because of my sister. Um, and what I've 
what I tell people is, listen, if you decide to take chemo and radiation, that is a personal decision. It doesn't matter if you decide to take it or, or not take it. You should still be eating right because our dietary habits and our lifestyle directly affect our health and we can reverse and prevent disease, including some cancers through our dietary habits and lifestyle. And so, you know, eating, making sure that we're eating foods that uh, don't feed cancer. We know that sugar feeds cancer. We know that there's carcinogens in, um, you know, artificial sweeteners. We know there's carcinogens in many products that are out there. And I teach this in my book and I talk about it in my healthy eating classes. And so it's important to know that you don't want to feed cancer. There is a lot of research that we can shrink cancer cells. We can turn on and turn off cancer cells through our dietary habits and through our lifestyle. You don't hear about it in the mainstream media, but it's out there. And so if you're going to take chemo and radiation, you still should be doing holistic preventative medicine through your lifestyle habits and your your dietary habits. Robbie Raw here on the Intersection Podcast. Her website is Robbie, R-O-B-B-I-E, Raw, R-A-U-G-H, dot com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, more from CPE International. Debbie Wilson shared some of the concepts she brings out in the book, Little Women, Big God. It's not the size of your problems, but the size of your God. From that conversation, this is Debbie Wilson now. I think what the the little faith big God is looking at the backstories of some of those in Hebrews 11. And I again was drawn to when I started studying Hebrews 11 you know you're expecting to find these mighty heroes and when you look at their backstories they're people like me you know they do three steps forward and two back and three steps forward and two back and God's grace was greater than their stumbles and greater when their faith was shaky and so um, I hadn't thought about that when I started out, but, but that's just what showed up. And, and I love, I love that because honestly, knowing a big God is what we all need. Well, and you did the biographies of the women in the genealogy of Jesus. And now you have the biographies of those in Hebrews chapter 11, one particular character. And there, you know, some of these people we're familiar with, some of those you really have to maybe dig a little bit deeper to really consider why they might be found in Hebrews chapter 11. Like you say, you discovered that these people were, were just like, just like you, just like me. Then there's Samson. Right. <laughs> so there's Samson. So he, I, he's there. And, and there are some lessons we can learn. I guess you might say some things not to do. Yeah. <laughs> but Samson, hey, somehow maybe by the skin of his teeth, he made it into the hall of faith. But God's, God's yes. got his plan, doesn't he? Yes, Bob. I mean, what mother holds up (laughs) Samson and says, yeah, this is somebody to follow. But yes, he, (laughs) he did. And I, I think, um, again, it's a sign of God's grace. And at the end of his life, after he's been blinded, he's being, he's a slave. And I just can't help, but as he is hearing the Philistines praise their God for his capture, that he might remember what his, his mother told him. You were called yeah. to lead Israel and to overthrow the Philistines. And now you are captured by them because of your sin. And at that point, he prays to God in faith 
and ask God to kill the Philistines as he, as he takes his own life. And he, that was faith. And God remembered his faith instead of his flaws. Well, and when we look at this, again, the, the story of Samson and something you bring out in this book, Little Faith, Big God, is the principle of learning how to recognize and deal with manipulation. Because, yes. well, I would say Samson had a lot of manipulation going yes. on around him. And, of course, you had the whole thing with, with Delilah, a rather yes. manipulative person. But you offer this as really a, a teachable opportunity with respect to recognizing and, and really being able to, to deal with that. Right. Uh, you know, there's so many ways that we can give in to manipulation. And I, I mean, recently I went to a shoe store and I like this clerk, but I, I just wanted to see one pair of shoes and he came out with like 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so what happens if, if he spends time showing you 12 pairs of shoes, you kind of think, oh, no, I've taken up all this time. And so there are little subtle ways that may not be a big thing, but but the point is it that we can be taken in subtly without being aware. And so Samson is a huge example because he gave up a sacred secret, the secret mm-hmm. to his strength. And that wouldn't have happened if he had been talking to the Lord. That wouldn't have happened if he'd been walking with the Lord on something that big of a scale. But I think there, there are several points that I saw, Bob, is that... Um, Samson didn't tell that secret because he thought it was the right thing. True. He did it to get Delilah off his back. And there, and so we have to look at our motivation. What are we doing this? Are we doing it out of love, out of faith, because we feel like it honors God? You know, Jesus said you can only have one Lord, one master. And when we make other people masters of our lives, that takes away our ability to serve the Lord. Debbie Wilson here on The Intersection. For information, you can go to littlewomenbiggod.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast can be found through the Meeting House homepage, as well as the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit the Meeting House homepage. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find information on the Intersection Podcast. There are two blogs accessible. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Christian Product Expo International in Tennessee. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.